I think some of you enjoyed last Sunday at home, didn't you? Admit it. Uh, as staff, we were unanimously uh, enjoying the break, but we didn't get to hear Doug's sermon on hope, and so we're going to take the first 15 minutes, and we're going to hear from Doug on the theme of hope, and then I'm going to come up and I'm going to preach on the sermon, or preach on the, uh, the message of peace. Sounds like a cop-out on my part, doesn't it? Uh, it is... You know, in some ways I could say it's, it's, it's as much work to prepare a 15-minute sermon as a 30-minute sermon, but it's probably more work for Doug to take a 35-minute sermon and cut it down to 15. And at 10 to 10, he was still not sure how he was going to do that, uh, so I'm going to invite Doug to come up and just uh, lead us off this morning. And I'm going to sit in your sight line so okay. that you don't forget me. Good. So, so Paul, 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 I think it's a tag team, so you have to, you have to do this on the way by. Okay, yeah, here we go. Tag team preaching. Have you ever seen this before? Something new <laughs> at Forest View. Well, anyway, it is great to see you. And um, why does it take an act of God to force us to slow down like we did last week, right? Was it a good day for you to just rest a bit? I think it probably was for most of us. So we're grateful. Uh, but it's lovely to be here too, isn't it, eh? To worship God together as we have already, and, uh, and to be together like this. So, um, last week I was going to be talking to you about uh, the event where uh, Jesus is presented in the temple as a little baby. And there are two people there, there's Simeon and Anna. Both of them are really old, even older than me. And uh, they came with huge expectation uh, because when they saw Jesus, they knew that he was the one that God had sent to change everything in the world, the, the, the one who would come to save the world. And so both of these old people, they speak over Jesus, they speak over his family, and they, they're really pointing to the fact that Jesus is the one who gives us life and hope. And so both Simeon and Anna, these old people, they'd been waiting all their lives for this, and if you know, there was a time of 400 years of God's silence between the time of the last sort of revelation of, of God in the book of Malachi, right up to the time of Jesus, is about 400 years waiting. Is God going to say anything? Is God going to do anything? And you can imagine how that would have been discouraging and even put a lot of those people into despair. And yet these two people kept waiting, anticipating, expecting Jesus to come, God to do something. And that's sort of the theme of Advent, that we're waiting. And there are actually three waitings. You know what, really before this, I thought there were two waitings. That we were waiting sort of for Christmas Day to come, the 25th, and we celebrate Jesus and we celebrate his coming and so on anticipating, you know, the celebration of the first coming of Jesus. But there's also the waiting for the celebration of the second coming of Jesus. Anticipating that this Jesus who came once to the earth in physical, in a physical body, in the flesh, is coming again sometime. We don't know when. Could be really any time. And so we're expecting he to come and we're serving him as we wait for him and we're loving him and wanting to make a difference in the world as we wait for him. 
So those are the two comings, but there's a third coming as well, where in this time of Advent, we consider that between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, there's this time that we're in right now. And we're actually expecting Jesus to show up in our lives right now. Like even this morning, like right here in this place, like meeting us exactly where we are in our lives because he's the living, resurrected Jesus Christ, right? He's not dead. He is alive. So we have these waitings. And um, so this, I think we don't like to wait. Would that be like fairly accurate for, for most of us? We don't like to wait. Uh, we, don't, we don't like that. But waiting is part of our life and hoping for God to um, give us a new future. So we imagine a new future. So when I think about Simeon and Anna waiting and waiting and waiting and anticipating and hoping for those 400 years, and perhaps the despair and discouragement that many people felt at that time, I would say if the truth be known, there are many people just like that in our society today. That there is, there's a despair, there's a hopelessness, there's this dark feeling that comes over. And um, I came upon this actually just this last little while that there's a term that's being used now. They're called, it's called deaths of despair. I don't know if you've heard of that term or not, but I think we'll be hearing more of it. Deaths of despair. It comes from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. And this category refers to deaths by... Drugs or alcohol or suicide. They're called deaths of despair. Has anybody heard of it? Okay, yes. So, these, in the last 10 years, there's been an increase in deaths of despair. In fact, in the last 10 years, drug-related deaths have increased by 108%. That's the increase that... Deaths, uh, alcohol-related deaths, have increased by 69%. That's the increase. And suicides have increased by 35% in the last 10 years. Deaths of despair, just feeling lonely, depressed, empty. And the greatest increase in deaths by despair are among millennials, young people from 18 to about 34 years old. Why? Because there's a hopelessness and, and, and hopeless. Somebody described this as being like being in a padded room. And in this room, there's nobody else around. It's dark in there. And you try to call out. You're, you're screaming out, will somebody help me? but nobody can hear you and you're all alone. It's that kind of feeling and, um, and nobody even knows or cares. The, in this era, when we're most connected, is it not true? By every conceivable platform with one another, and you can have thousands of friends on your Facebook, there's this dilemma um, of, of people being so lonely and alone.
the truth is, when I was thinking about that image of the padded, the padded room and where nobody can hear you, the truth of that image is that there's always a door and Jesus is the door in that room. And that he's actually at the door of your life. And I think a verse is gonna come up here for us. Um, Revelation chapter three. It's Jesus saying, here I am. I stand at the door of your life, of your padded room or whatever situation that you're in. I stand at the door and I'm knocking. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. And eating together in that Eastern context is this close uh, identity with one another, acceptance of one another, loving friendship that happens. Jesus is present in times of despair because Jesus is the hope of the world. And his coming to us brings us hope. And hope has a face. And the face is Jesus. And notice Jesus does not force his way in. He knocks. He asks us and he invites us to invite him in. He's available. I was thinking this week about were people of Christmas, were they subject to the same kind of despair and questions uh, about life that we sometimes face? And I think they all were. I think of Joseph when his fiance turned up pregnant and he knew it wasn't him. You just think about the discouragement in your heart. I think of Mary. How is she going to explain to people that she's pregnant but she's never slept with a man? And when you think of all the other people of the Christmas story, they all had reason to despair or to quit or to give up or to really be disappointed. And yet they found what followers of Jesus have found all down through the centuries. And that is that God is faithful. God's really faithful. And God is really, really good. N not all the circumstances of our life are good. Would you agree? In fact, some of them are just awfully, awfully bad. But God is good there in the midst of all these things. So I want to give you a couple of other, other verses. Here's one from Hebrews 6.19 that numbers of you will know and have found to be just incredibly helpful in times of difficulty and struggle. We have this hope. We're talking about hope today. The first candle was the candle of hope. And we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner, san inner sanctuary behind the curtain, and that's an image of Jesus going into the holy, holy place and praying on our behalf. That this Jesus who left heaven and came here knows you and knows exactly what you're going through, and he's praying for you because he cares. He really cares about your life to give you hope in, into the future. God is faithful. And um, hope is not a kite at the mercy of the blowing winds. Hope is this anchor, firm and secure. We used to sing this song. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. The love of Jesus for you, my friends.
gives us hope for the future, whatever you may be in the midst of. So there's another prayer that I have for you here, and this comes up uh, from Romans 15 and 13. Actually, that should read. But it goes like this. It was read this morning. I was so thankful for that to be read. May the God of hope, he identifies himself as the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Now, look at that for a moment, because that's our part, okay? As we trust in him, this is what he'll do. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May this be true for you. Now, I want to finish with a story, and I'm, I'm looking for Paul, but I can't see him. I can't see you, Paul. <laughs> okay, here's the story, all right. When, uh, so Ruth and I had four teenagers at the same time. We actually had a fifth, a foster child, for a number of those years. But when our four kids were going up through their teenage years, we had some struggles. Does that surprise you at all? There were some issues along the way. And one of our kids, and the first two were girls and the next two were boys, and I won't tell you if it was a girl or a boy because you might gen- genderfy this thing, but is that a word, genderfy? Anyway, um, so we had an issue with one of our children, let's say, and there was a deal where this person, this unnamed child, wanted to go away with a bunch of high school kids for a weekend, and so we asked, well, so, like, uh, where are you going? Well, it's going to a, a cottage. Well, so whose cottage is it? Well, I'm not sure. Well, will the parents be there? No, the parents won't be there. Well, and as we continued to talk about the weekend, we just thought, do you know what? this is not wise, so no, we don't want you to go on this weekend. So I remember talking in this child's room and just saying, so no, we don't want you to go. And all of a sudden, everything went absolutely quiet. So I kept asking this person questions, and I got no answer at all, and the arms were just locked like this, you know? We're standing there, and did I say her bedroom? (laughs) I let it out, but anyway... So we're standing there, and we're talking, and I'm talking, and she's not saying anything, okay? And so I said, okay, so let me just pray for you then, because if you won't even talk with me, then we can't have a conversation, so let me pray for you. I put my hand on her shoulder, and I just prayed. I thanked God for her, and I, I just, in my prayer, told her how much I loved her, and I uh, just wanted to commit her into God's care, watch over her, and I said, Amen. She just was like this, you know. So then I just, I walked out of the room, and you know what happened, don't you? Wham! The door shut right behind me like this, slam shut. And I walked out, and I just thought, God, I'm such a failure as a parent. I just, help us, Lord. And we actually, this continued for actually quite a while, uh, quite a long time, and uh, we were left with that struggle. And quite some time later, on a Father's Day morning, I got up early, and uh, I went upstairs, and there was a letter for me on the table. And when I opened it up, I read this thing. Uh, Dear Dad, happy Father's Day. Do you remember that day when you wouldn't let me go on the weekend, and I slammed the door behind you, and I was so mad? Do you think I remembered that day? What do you think? Do you think, (laughs) did I ever remember that day? She said, "Um, Dad, you may not believe this, but when you walked out of that room, I was so mad. 
I just stood there for a long time, just seething. And then I fell on my bed, and I started to cry. And I cried, and I said, God, why am I treating my dad so badly when I know he loves me? And during that time, we didn't see God working at all. Do you know what I'm saying? We did not see God working at all. She was stonewalling us totally. But we were trying to put our hope in God that God would do something because we felt we couldn't do anything. And what we found at that time is this verse from Isaiah 64 and 4, and it goes like this. Since ancient times, no one has heard no ear has perceived and no eye has seen any God besides you who acts, A-C-T-S, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. God was acting. I couldn't see him acting in the life of our daughter. But God was acting even then in the moment of incredible rebellion and broken relationship and so on. God was acting and we had to keep hope and prayer for her along the way. I want to encourage you with this. Have hope, hold on to hope, because God is faithful, and he's the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Paul, thanks for this, Paul. We're uh, we're all caught up now. We're all caught up in Advent. And uh, we're going to move from from hope to peace. And I think it's actually kind of neat the way we're doing this because it really uh, shows us the connection between these themes of hope and peace. In the Bible, the word for peace... means uh, it means the absence of conflict, but it means so much more than that. It means uh, the presence of something better in its place. And so the word uh, that is used in the Old Testament, and I'm sure you're familiar with it, we've, uh, we've talked about it here before, but the word is the word of shalom. Shalom, uh, it's, a, it's a word that carries a lot of depth, and in it, it has this idea of something that is complex with lots of pieces, But those pieces are all coming together and they are interconnected and they are interwoven so that you have a uh, a state of completeness. So something complex, lots of pieces, but those pieces are brought together so that what you have is something that's complete. There's no missing parts. Think about our building, for example, right now. If you were to walk uh, through the youth room, you know, that room that's a hallway and a room and go out towards the bathroom but then on the other side you'll find the contractor's office and in the contractor's office on the table you'll see this stack of drawings maybe this thick and every drawing it'll illustrates a, a level of complexity within this building you'll find a mechanical drawing you'll find an electrical drawing some of you love this stuff right you love looking at these things and you'll find structural drawings of how to build a elevator shaft how to put in the windows how to do the landscaping This uh, building, however, lacks shalom. At this point in time, we do have hope that we will get there. And I love those weekly emails that remind us we're on track. And at the end of January, we will have shalom in this building. But right now, it's a complex building with complex parts, but it lacks wholeness. So shalom is like that. It's complex parts that come together to complete wholeness. And we can think about that not just to buildings, 
but in our own lives as well, because our lives are complex with lots of pieces. We are a web of relationships with people, systems, and structures which have many moving parts. And when any one of these parts are out of sorts or out of alignment, life breaks down and shalom needs to be restored. In social work and other helping professions, they illustrate this with something called an eco-map. And so we have this uh, picture here of an eco-map, and you can see this is David in the blue, and that's not any David that we know. I found this up on Pinterest. Uh, you can see David is in this web of relationships with uh, individuals and family members and caregivers and other structures like the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. And these relationships, some of them are stronger, some of them are broken. Um, and the strong relationships are, are uh, represented by double lines or just regular relationships, a, a black line, broken relationships with a line through the line. And this reminds us that we all are like David. We are in relationships. Some of them are healthy, and others of them are broken or strained. We lack shalom completely in our lives. And Isaiah, in uh, the, the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 11, verses 6 to 9, uh, recognized that there is a lack of shalom in the nation of Israel. The people of God, their, their relationship with their God was broken. Uh, they were uh, they had broken their covenant, they were worshipping other gods, and their relationships with one another were broken. They were, um, there was no peace between the people. The, the rich and the powerful were oppressing the poor and the vulnerable. And so Isaiah, in, Isaiah, in uh, chapter 11, he paints this picture of what Shalom would look for, what he was longing for to come one day, where he says, The wolves will live in peace with lambs. And leopards will lie down to rest with goats. Calves, lions, and young bulls will eat together, and a little child will lead them. Cows and bears will eat together in peace. Their young will lie down to rest together. Lions will eat hay as oxen do. A baby will be able to play near a cobra's hole, and a child will be able to put his hand into the nest of a poisonous snake. They will not hurt or destroy each other on my on all my holy mountain, because the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is full of water. It's this beautiful image that Isaiah has of someday there being complete and full shalom. It's this picture of uh, no predator-prey relationship. Um, wolves will lie down with lambs. Children will be playing with poisonous snakes. It's this picture of completeness, complex parts coming together but completeness. 700 years later, the nation of Israel is still waiting for this to come. They're still waiting for this promised Messiah who will establish this shalom. And as they're waiting, suddenly and unexpectedly, in the sleepy backwater town of Bethlehem, a frightening angel appeared to a group of shepherds with this grand announcement. We'll bring the screen up here. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace on whom his favor rests. This is the arrival of Jesus. This is the promise that Isaiah was waiting for. 
Jesus entered into this world, and it was a world full of conflict. We know, because we've talked about this before, that Israel was an occupied territory living under the rule of Rome called the Pax Romana. And for the Pax Romana, while some people experienced a sense of peace and security, it was not a time of peace at all, because the Pax Romana was um, a peace that came about through the sword. It was a peace that came about uh, and as any opposition was brutally extinguished. It was a brutal peace, we might say. And the news of the baby king, and this is, this is exemplified, in fact, by when the news of this baby king had come to Herod himself. Herod, who was the Roman uh, ruler for that region, heard that this baby had been born, and he felt threatened by this baby, and he ordered the slaughter of all children, all male children under two. This was the type of um, conflict and war and uh, world that Jesus had entered into where rulers were slaughtering children in order to hold on to their power, in order to hold on to everything that they held. Um, and this is the same event that would force Mary and Joseph to flee to Egypt as refugees because of the fear of, uh, of, for, the, of, for the protection of their own child. Jesus, uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus were refugees for a while until they were able to come back safely to the town of Nazareth. Isaiah was imagining this, this, uh, this picture. Remember that picture that Isaiah was imagining, this perfect shalom. And Jesus enters into this world as the Messiah, and he enter, enters into this world full of conflict 700 years later. Now, 2,000 years later from that day, we would say this evil that Jesus arrived in is still flourishing in our world. The poor and the vulnerable are still oppressed. There is still predatory violence in creation, and the earth is far from being full of the knowledge of the Lord. The world described by Isaiah does not sound like the world that we live in, but we know that by God's design, the victory of Jesus and the full inauguration of his kingdom remains hidden. Is Jesus the incomplete Messiah? Did he not get the job done? No, not at all. It's, that, it's not that Jesus couldn't get the job done, but it's that Jesus left the job to us. Jesus, Jesus came over death. He overcame death, and he ascended into heaven, and he left us as the church to carry out this work of building peace and building his kingdom of peace. And so we now remain in this struggle. In 2015, Pope Francis uh, declared a jubilee of mercy. A jubilee of mercy uh, was, was an, like an, an additional year of jubilee on top of the regular rhythm of jubilee years within the Catholic Church. And when the Pope inaugurates a jubilee year, there is this tradition of opening what's called the main holy door. And this is something that's always done in, the, in a basilica in Rome. However, in this year, in 2015, the Pope uh, took this ceremony and he traveled to the Central, Africa, uh, the Central Africa Republic and opened the main holy door of a basilica in Bangui, the capital city of this war-torn country. And he did this because he wanted to represent and he wanted to show that the role of the church, the place of the church, is to be on the margins of society where violence and conflict exist. And he did this on the first day of Advent because as a reminder that Jesus entered into the world in a place of conflict, in a place of war, in a place of violence. 
and a time of violence. And that's where the church is to be, on the margins where there is, where there is conflict, to be people bringing peace, to be peacemakers. Eugene Peterson says, Advent forces us to deal with all the mess of humanity in the context of God who entered into this mess in the birth of Jesus. And so as we continue to live in, in this world of messiness and violence, I want us to go back to this eco-map that we looked at earlier. But it's a different one. It's not David's eco-map. It's, it's your eco-map. And we're going to do this exercise together. I want you to imagine uh, that you are that circle in the center. And I want you to think about the web of relationships that you exist in. And as you do that, I'm going to take us through three steps. And after each step, I'm going to ask you to pause. And it's going to be that sort of awkward, it's going to feel like five minutes, but it's really only going to be about 20 seconds. But we're going to pray. So I'm going to take us through three steps and three stages of prayer together as we think about our lives and the web of relationships in which we exist. So I want you to, first of all, think about those relationships where you have peace. We know it's not perfect peace. None of our relationships are perfect, but it's a committed relationship. Where there is conflict, you're committed to working it out. This could be a good friend. This could be a spouse. This could be a child. This could be a parent. And I want you to say thank you for those relationships that you have, where there is a commitment to work through conflict and to live in peace with one another. So just take a few moments and say thank you for those relationships. I want you to think about some of the other relationships in your lives, some of those relationships that are strained. And maybe the Lord is saying to you, the ball is in your court. It's your turn to do something. You need to return it. You need to reach out. You need to be that peacemaker. It could be an individual relationship. Again, it could be a parent or a child or a partner. It could be a system. It could be the school system where you're, where you're frustrated with, with the lack of attention your, your child is needing. Um, the teacher is great, but the system just seems to be broken. Is there something that you're wondering, what do I do about this? How do I deal with this situation? And we're just going to ask the Lord, what do I do? Lord, what do I do? What's the balls in my court, possibly? How do I respond to this situation? Ask the Lord, are there places in your life where you need to be a peacemaker and restore health to a relationship? And lastly, I want you to think about some of these relationships that are just broken. It could be through death. It could be through divorce. It could be through something else that prevents uh, this other person from reconciling with you. It could be something where you just know, whatever you do, you can't change things. And you just need to cry out to the Lord and say, come, Lord Jesus. Because like Isaiah, we just wait for that day 
where there will be true reconciliation, where there will be true peace, where we will experience shalom. Down at next door this past week, we've had maybe the toughest week that we've ever had. We had a young 20-year-old girl, the daughter of one of our women who we've known for a long time, uh, die of a drug overdose. It was um, hard for everybody. For me, the last few months, I've had to be the bad cop. I've had to be the one that said, no, you can't come in here. Uh, she was causing disruptions. She was sleeping in the back alley. It was very difficult. Uh, it was difficult for me, certainly. It was difficult for, for the mom and for so many others who were so close to her. And we were living now in this place where that relationship is done. And we just long for that day, for that mom's sake, and for all of us, for there to be complete shalom, for there to be wholeness and, and fullness to come. And so with you, I cry out as well for that longing one day. And we cry out with Isaiah for that picture, for that day when there will be full peace and shalom. Did I give you time to pray over that? I can't remember. No, I didn't. Okay. We're going to take a moment and just pray together for shalom, for the coming of the Lord Jesus and to bring fully his kingdom of peace. And in the meantime, until that day when Jesus returns to establish his kingdom of peace, he has invited us first to remember his first coming, that he entered into a world of violence to bring peace, and that he died a criminal's death. Yet it was through this death that we have been offered new life, joined with his life, which was resurrected three days later to show that the final victory belongs to him. And so in thanksgiving for all that Jesus has done for us, we eat this bread and we drink this juice. We're going to take this bread. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. We're going to break the bread. We're going to pass it. We're going to pass the juice. And we're going to do this together. And let me just pray over the, uh, the bread and the juice that we're about to share with one another. Loving Father, we thank you that we have this, uh, this promise that one day, Lord Jesus will return and he will inaugurate and bring into completion this kingdom of peace and hope that we so long for, that Isaiah longed for so long ago and that we long for now. We thank you for the promise of it. We thank you that Jesus came and that he gave us this bread and this juice as a reminder of, uh, of the hope that we have and of the peace that we are working for and that we hope for as well. And so as we pass it from hand to hand, we say to one another, we long for this, we desire this, and we wait with expectation. And thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.